Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. Um, I'm sorry. I okay. forgot to start the good recording. Oh my god. I actually have it this time. What a disaster. Try again. Okay. Welcome to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And we are back, boys. It's been a while. It's been a couple weeks. I left the city for, well, I'm not in the city, but I left town for a little bit. Um, how are How are things going? Jess? Um, things are going pretty well. It's pretty exciting to uh, be watching uh, all the playoff races that we're not involved in uh, mm-hmm. happening throughout Major League Baseball. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, no, things are uh, good for me personally uh, right now. So yeah, yeah, everything's cool. But yeah, it feels like uh, forever since we've done an episode. So I'm excited that's, to be uh... back here. And we have a lot to talk about. Like we're covering a lot that feels like it happened a while ago. So it's true. It's true. And the Orioles are maybe not in in contention for a, a playoff spot, but they're <laughs> they're involved in the wild card race and the division race a little bit in some way, shape, or form. So that's because we're fun. playing all those other teams who yeah. are involved in <laughs> exactly. They have all playoff teams, the contenders apart from the Rangers series uh, left on the schedule. So that makes it exciting, at least something yeah as to me i uh am going to interject myself i just want to say by far the most unfortunate development since we last recorded is that the st louis cardinals reeled off 10 straight and just like once again are being the cardinals and just somehow ending up in the playoffs after being like legitimately a pretty mediocre team the entire rest of the year and i'm pretty tired of it i like (laughs) I respect Adam Wainwright. You know, he's been great. Um, Uncle Charlie himself. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm so tired of the Cardinals. They just need to be bad. And uh, one of my good friends, ironically, also named Charlie. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a Cardinals fan. I like went to see a game with him a little while ago. And he's just been insufferable. And, you know, he's talking about how this isn't a very good Cardinals team. And he's like, well, you know, like playoff teams don't lose to this, this, because we saw them lose to the Pirates. And he just, you know, he says all this stuff and it's like, dude, you've been in the playoffs, you know, nine of right. 10 years for the last 30 years. Like, I'm right. just, I don't want to hear it. I'm tired of it. And here they are again, reeling off. I think it's at like 12 in a row now. It's, it's, it's just like, it's the, there's got to be like a playoff fatigue. I feel like, like, okay, yeah, we're in it again. Great. Like, I mean, how, like, what they've won how many two or three world series like in the past what since 2010 or something and i mean i don't know i guess it's been five or six years i guess i think they won in 2011 maybe you're right but yeah yeah okay so i don't know it just feels like they're always in the world series in the playoffs and it's like yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's got to be a fatigue associated with that. But I guess it does probably... It. I, yeah, I yeah we're... Fi- yes, I'm, I'm fatigued <laughs> of the Cardinals. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But, um, yeah, how they do these sorts of marvelous uh, magic tricks is pretty remarkable. Before the season, I saw a stat they had a, like a 2% chance of making the playoffs, and it's like 74 now, so... Well, they've also like basically 
ended the season of everybody's second favorite team, the San Diego Padres. Like they're five games back in the wild card now. Like it ain't happening. Manny Machado is yelling at Fernando Tatis Jr. in the dugout. It's just, it's a disaster. And that those Padres yeah. have so many like former Orioles or Orioles coaches or whatever on that team that it's kind of a bummer because those are kind of like the spiritual Orioles that um, they're not going to go to the postseason either. Unfortunately, it is yeah. kind of funny to think that. You know, like Manny went over there and he got Bobby Dickerson hired. He got Wayne Kirby hired. You know, he just Ryan, like, Ryan Flaherty's on the coaching Flaherty, staff. That's right. <laughs> he, he was the one who was pushing Tatis away. Um, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he was like, no, these are good people. These are the people that I came up with. And I know they got some good stuff to teach the rest of these guys. So, yeah, I support well, it. When you have that sort of contract, I guess you can do those sorts of things. You, so. You've got some sway, as they yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, one day the Orioles will be there yelling yeah. at each other in the dugout as they miss a playoff spot by five games. <laughs> yeah. And the Padres, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and the Padres will be back. I mean, long yeah. term, like there's no no real uh structural damage to their long term plan. So yeah. they have dealt with a lot of pitching injuries too. Yeah. And you they gotta need- think, you know, next year they're gonna have Mike Clevenger come back, who wasn't even a factor this year because of Tommy John. They're gonna be plenty dangerous for years to come yeah and they're a lot of fun so bummer that they're not going to go but uh this is not a padres podcast yet maybe we'll maybe we'll switch over we'll see <laughs> i would have, have, I would have more, to learn a lot about if the padres. we have a couple more years like this year then <laughs> it's true um all right well let's let's get into things because as jesse said we do have a lot to discuss so the first thing is something that just came along the the twitter timeline right before we got on here Eli noticed it. I did not. So I'm glad Eli was scanning his uh, notifications, but Brandon Hyde, the Orioles manager, there's been a lot of speculation here for a few months now, whether he would be the guy going into 2022. Apparently the Orioles decided he was going to be the guy in 2022 a year ago because he signed an extension. Eli, you read the news story. It was sometime last year in 2020. They agreed to this extension. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I just saw a Dan Connolly tweet. It wasn't a story or anything. But yeah, apparently there was a super quiet hush-hush extension last year. And that just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird, like, because Elias has been, has done, like, press conferences this year. And he's been asked specifically, is Brandon Hyde under contract for next year? And he's always said time and time again, like, I'm not going to comment on another person's uh, employment status or a member of the front office or the coaching staff. But it's just like, an extension is such a positive thing all around. Why would you not say like, Hey, Brandon Hyde got an extension. It's very strange. Right. What could be the incentive for keeping that quiet? I I mean, like, I I don't know. Then it makes me think, okay, did the players know, you know, did, like, did the rest of the coaching staff know? And I would hope that they did, but I just really don't understand. You know, if you want a team to really rally around somebody, if you want fans to, you know, really dig in and support this guy. Like say, yeah, we support him too. He's going to be here. He's with us for the next couple of years. Like, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty strange. At least that, that side of it is, uh, is odd that they went about it that way because a lot of teams hold like press conferences when they give extensions to coaches, but the Orioles did not go that way. Um, anyway, kind of aside from the way the Orioles handled it, let's, let's kind of talk about whether we think Brandon Hyde is, the guy to be the Orioles manager for 2022. Jesse, you were kind of, when we were sort of discussing this real quick before we got on, you 
are a little perplexed why they would give him the contract. I guess you haven't been totally surprised by Brandon Hyde's performance as manager, but do you kind of want to just like, you know, chime in on what your thoughts are on, on him receiving the one-year extension? Yeah, um, just to your earlier points also, like although uh, Brandon Hyde has not, not yet uh, gotten the uh, Baltimore fan base love uh, that Buck Showalter has gotten, I think people in uh, Baltimore fans generally like him just like they generally like most of the players on the team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is kind of like a weird thing um, how they went about this process. As far as, um, I mean, so, you know, thinking about it a little bit more, I mean, I, I really think what this is, is, you know, they signed him. I think the idea was, you know, we're going to see what you can do. Hopefully you're a young manager Maybe you could get the most or, you know, kind of push some of the young kids to their limits and kind of get the most out of them. And maybe they overperform a little bit. Um, I think uh, the idea at this point is that, you know, right now we kind of need him as a caretaker for a little while longer. And that became apparent to the Orioles that they weren't going to be ready to compete at that time. So uh, rather than bringing in a, in a new manager, uh, one that you're claiming is going to be here to have these guys win. And this is the guy that's going to go win us a world series. Um, you don't want to bring that guy in and then have the Orioles lose a hundred games, right? You don't want that to be the situation. So, um, because the timeline got pushed back a little bit, um, well, it didn't even get pushed back a little bit. Um, it just became more apparent that this is definitively the timeline. So let's just give him another year um, where the Orioles can struggle. And then when we really want to start making our push to advance and to really steadily improve, then on that year, we'll go sign the guy we really want. Um, I, I don't think that it is an indication that the Orioles want to commit to him long term or have him uh, be the manager of the future. I'm not saying that's definitely off the table from the Orioles perspective, but I think it's very unlikely. And um, I don't despise Brandon Hyde, but he doesn't seem to me to be the guy uh, that's going to win the win a World Series with us. So that's how it feels to me. Yeah, so I guess, you know, the phrase we always use is, is this guy on the next good Orioles team? So Jesse, your answer is that Brandon Hyde is not on the next good Orioles team. Correct. Wow. Eli, you seem to have a different opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, I, I mean, the big thing to me is that, like, why not give him another year? I mean, the first thing is that this was a guy who was pretty highly coveted. You know, a lot of people wanted to interview him as he was coming out of Chicago. Uh, he was known as a player development kind of guy. He was, you know, really good with younger dudes, helping them find a routine, helping them understand what it's like to be in the bigs. Um, and so as he was coming out of his time with the Cubs, I think a lot of people were really interested in him. And so, you know, I think he was a good get for the Orioles. And I mean, the bigger thing to me is that like, what could you possibly evaluate him on? Like people talk about his bullpen decisions sometimes and that's you know one thing that people go to like lineup decisions bullpen decisions but I I mean I'm I'm like literally in this second I'm watching Eric Hanhold give up a two-run bomb to Andrew <laughs> McCutcheon like 
what is he supposed to do with guys like Aaron Hanhold, Eric Hanhold in the pen? It, you know, it's like Keegan Aiken goes out and gives five and a third scoreless. <laughs> and then Eric Hanhold is who we got in the pen. You know, like, right. I, I, I don't look at this as a situation where Brandon Hyde has had any ability to influence this team in the positive or negative, right? Because the, like the team's so abysmal. It, it just is an unfortunate truth. All of those writers, you know, everyone who has taken a dump on us, you know, probably like <laughs> a little bit undeservedly, but you know, the team is bad. Like it, it, it is what it is. The team is bad. And so I don't look at like our performance as an indictment, an indictment on Brandon Hyde in any way, shape or form. I think, you know, he's done what he can. I think that we've seen some seriously positive developments from some young people. I think Mountcastle, I think Hayes, I think Mullins, I think, I mean, Means isn't too young, you know, but he's relatively inexperienced. I think that there's, you know, some good things to hold on to. And I think that there's no reason that Brandon Hyde can't continue to be a positive influence. Um, you know, we've like, we've seen him be willing to fight for these guys. We've seen him open his mouth. We've seen him stick up for people. We've seen him like, you know, st- like just stand tall through like a 19 game losing streak and say, you know, I'm proud of my guys for keep, you know, continuing to work through this. Like, I, I just think that Brandon Hyde is a pretty, I, I think he's the right guy for this moment. And I don't think we have any kind of information to evaluate whether he's the right guy for our next moment yet. Um, so I, I guess like I was more just surprised by Jesse saying, no, I'm not sure I'm ready to say yes. But I think like maybe next year when the Orioles turn into a 65-70 win team, hopefully, that, yeah, I mean, I think we'll get a lot more information. Hopefully we'll have a more steady bullpen. Hopefully some of those young arms will be up and we'll have slightly like more stability in the rotation. Hopefully we'll go sign a couple guys to just stabilize our lineup, stabilize the rotation, whatever, you know. And then I think we can start to evaluate Brandon Hyde's decision making because, I mean, we've been talking about it all year. It's just about getting to the next day at this point. There is no way to evaluate what a good job and what a bad job is. None of us could have done any better this year. And I mean, that's that's a given. But like, I don't think Buck Showalter could have, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think there's anyone out there like Jace Tingler, you know, whoever you want to say, Dave Roberts, whatever. Not, I, like, it's just a bad team. And that just is what it is. It it is a bad team, but I don't think that like exempts uh, like exempts him from like some sort of assessment of the situation. I mean, we all talked about how you know Freddie Galvis was hitting two and then four and then three in our lineup. You know, I mean, and that's just one like minor example. Um, but we can still like evaluate. I mean, we're all watching what happens. We all see everything that happens on the field. Like. Yes, even though um, a good manager could maybe at most squeeze out what I, I don't know, maybe in an ideal great situation, this is a 65 win team, like with some minor miracles happening in the process. But um, so I get that, you know, it's it's a bad team. The talent isn't there overall. Um, I understand all that, but we can also pay attention to like what Hyde is doing and we still need to assess him on his merits. And you do point to some good things um, that have happened on his watch, the emergence of some key cornerstone players, hopefully um, that have, you know, come about this year. Um, 
Mullins, Mountcastle um, means, you know, to a lesser extent, obviously. And then um, and then, you know, you could. Well, just because he, you know, he was good last year um, and he'd kind of been I, I was just trying to say he didn't fully emerge like this year. I mean, he did for the most part, but he had been trending. Oh, right, Brandon Hyde. right. But yes, I understand that. You know, the assessment just needs to come in. You know, how much did Brandon Hyde have to do with that? How much, you know, how much credit does he deserve for that? Those type of questions need to be sort of asked and uh, gone through. Uh, but I, I just my ultimate point, though, is that, you know, we even though we have a bad team, that that doesn't uh, mean that we can't look for certain indicators of what's happening on the team to measure uh, Hyde's performance. Yeah, so you use the word exempt, and I just, like, I I guess I'm going to cue in on that. I I mean, I don't think he's exempt from evaluation. Like, we should always be evaluating. We should always be looking at him. I'm just saying that, like, to me, I don't feel that I can tell anything meaningful in his performance as a manager from what we have been seeing this year and, you know, over the previous couple of years. I I, I just, like, I don't think it's informative in telling me whether he's going to be able to lead a team to the World Series. That, that, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's not necessarily that we shouldn't be looking for that information. It's that I think when we look for it, the cupboard is bare, as Dan Connolly would say. Yeah, well, and I think also, like, the Orioles maybe are acknowledging that a, a couple things. They're probably acknowledging, yes, we haven't really given Brandon the best ingredients to cook with here. But also, like, the nice ingredients are getting close to being ready to cook with. I don't know. I'm, the metaphor is losing its way a little bit, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, <laughs> They're admitting that it's been kind of a disaster so far. So we know that there's going to be some of the big time prospects, Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, they're going to be up next year. Dio Hall, possibly like these are the big guns that you probably wouldn't trust them to just anybody. So they must have some sort of feeling that Brandon Hyde can get the job done and nurture young talent to a degree. At the same time, you know, the performance has not been great on the field these last few years. You would expect a little bit more. If you look at like the Pythagorean wins losses, the Orioles have been worse than what their Pythagorean win loss record says they should be every single year under Brandon Hyde. And, you know, that's just based on, you know, run differential, which if the Orioles get blown out by 10 runs and then win three, one run games, it's going to look like a bad, you know, run differential, even though they've won three out of four games, you know what I mean? So it's not everything, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm fine with a one-year extension. I think it's honestly like the perfect outcome where you give them another year. Who are the Orioles going to sign this offseason anyway to be the manager? You know, I'm not so sure that's that that was going to happen regardless. So I think it's a good outcome. I'm not sold either way on Brandon Hyde. If I had to pick a way, I had to commit to a way, I would say Brandon Hyde is not the Orioles manager the next time they are good or ready to be really good. But Again, he's got next year with hopefully a better talent, more talented roster to prove me wrong. So we'll see. Um, But yeah, hopefully we got through all that. We've had some technical difficulties here. (laughs) So maybe you just heard the last five minutes and not the whole 20 minutes. We just talked about it. We'll see. Um, Kind of staying on the Brandon Hyde train for a second because we didn't get to talk about this because we didn't record last week was the whole Robbie Ray, Brandon Hyde drama where it looked like they were kind of chirping at each other. Robbie Ray was staring at the Orioles dugout because he wasn't happy about something. Then Brandon Hyde kind of let him know about it by saying a few uh, select words that would not be able to be shown on network television. 
Um, but you could hear him on the Masson feed pretty clearly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so I don't know. After after the game, Hyde did apologize for whatever that's worth. And Ray pretty much was like not hearing it. What hap- What seems to have happened is that Robbie Ray was not happy that the orders were laying off of his slider so much. Robbie Ray's had a really good season, probably going to get some AL Cy Young votes. Um, and I guess he was assuming the Orioles were stealing signs or, or knew something about when he was throwing a slider. And Brandon Hyde was basically telling him like, no, that wasn't happening. So why don't you focus on uh, throwing the ball? Um, Eli, I don't know if you had any kind of initial reaction to the whole interaction between those two men. Uh, I had two things. So I, I guess the first, the Orioles actually swung at Robbie Ray's slider in that start at a higher clip than his yearly average. So, you know, the evidence for it wasn't that great. Like clearly, you know, in those first couple innings when the Orioles touched him up a little bit, I think, yeah, it's like, I don't think we had his signs. I don't think he was tipping pitches. I think they just went up there with a good approach and realized, Hey, his sliders, his best pitch. Maybe we should lay off of that and make him throw us a good fastball. So, you, you know, like I, do I think the Orioles were doing anything? Quite frankly, I don't, especially because by the end of the day, you know, they had swung at this thing more than the rest of the league had over the course of the year. So I think it was kind of like a, a weak argument, like the Orioles put some good at-bats together in the beginning. But um, as to Brandon Hyde, I don't know. This is one of the things that I look at and that makes me say, like, this is the perfect guy to have leading this team right now because – you know, the Orioles <laughs> are so unbelievably bad. And, you know, he is still coming to the park with passion. He's still ready to compete. He's like, he, I mean, he was ready, you know, if Robbie Ray would have charged at him, he would have picked him up and thrown him, you know, back into the clubhouse. Like, I, you know, Brandon Hyde was like ready to stand on the top step of that thing, make himself known, let him know that the Orioles were not going to be like, I don't know, just not going to be pushed around and that, you know, like we are worthy of something we're here, we're competing every day. And it's as simple as that. And and a lot of people were like making fun of him online for that. They're like, dude, you're leading like a 90 loss team right now. And I I mean, to me, I love that. Like to me, somebody who comes to the park every day and is ready to compete and is ready to put on for his team, that like, that's a special thing. And I can tell you from years and years and years of baseball that like, those are the types of guys that you absolutely feed off of and you, you know, the team feeds off of that energy and you know, like, I'm not going to say the Orioles have been spectacular, but like, I think they're closing out the year at a better clip than they, you know, did the first half of it. We've been playing like close to 500 ball the last couple of weeks. Um, And like, I, I think that maintaining some like any kind of morale when you're in the midst of a hundred and plus loss, you know, hundred plus loss season, is incredibly difficult to do. And here we are in late September. And I guess that was more mid-September at that point. But, <laughs> you know, he's like, it, you know, he's ready to go to war for this team. And he clearly uh-huh. cares a lot about the guys. And so that that's why, like, I say, I think he's definitely the right guy for this moment right here um, to carry the team through these difficult times. And I think he's worth just at least seeing what happens when we have some more talent on the team for him to play with. Yeah, I think most people seem to come down sort of on that side of the Brandon Hyde discussion. But I mean, specifically on the Robbie Ray incident, I I find it hard to, you know, support what Robbie Ray is saying. I mean, 
my first thought was the Orioles had just faced Robbie Ray like 10 days a week or 10 days before that. They had just seen him. And like, you know, the Orioles watch tape too. They they read scouting reports like, and yeah, you are a Cy Young candidate, but you're not going to always have your best stuff. Camden Yards is a tough park to pitch in. The Orioles offense is not inept. Like the Orioles offense is around average, maybe a little bit below average. Like you had a bad day, man. It's, it's okay. You, you can get lit up every, every now and then and not flip out about it. But I do agree that Brandon Hyde kind of standing up for his guys was nice because yeah, a, a lot of the discourse online was just so insane as if like, because you're better at something means that you can never be wrong or that Robbie Ray couldn't have been wrong in that situation was absolutely ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I have nothing else to add. I just agree with what you said, Eli, Jesse, I don't know if you had a different uh, read on the situation. No, I mean, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, right. To assume that, you know, a team has your signs based upon that little evidence. Right. I mean, yeah, the guys could have looked at some tape, figured something out. Maybe he was getting into a pattern, uh, you know, with his uh, pitch sequences, right? There's a whole bunch and, and, you know, every third slider that's get that gets thrown, you know, they're taking it, you know, like Eli said, though, the numbers weren't even there to support that. But um, no, I mean, the one thing I, I guess the one thing I will comment on, though, is like, you know, okay, Brandon Hyde apologized after the game for his language and stuff like that. I mean, it makes no difference to me. I don't care when these, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, when the managers go out and argue with the umpires all the time, they're cursing at them left and right. Brandon Hyde is going to like continue to curse. He's not going to like stop cursing, you know, <laughs> even though he apologized for cursing and said he shouldn't have done that. Like, I don't quite understand why he says that exactly, but um, like, I don't really have any problem with him doing that. And I think, um, I think he was saying like the, the language got picked up on the mics and stuff. And typically right. like it's a family friendly sort of product that professional baseball pushes and all that stuff. So I get it from that perspective, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Anybody right. that knows anything about like not even professional sports, just like being an adult and competing right. in a thing, like that's just kind right. of what happened. It's dumb to an extent, but like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. So that, that was just my main comment on the situation. I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to like be that angry at Robbie Ray either, you know, like he's, he's frustrated out there. He's, his team is in the middle of a wild card uh, race. Like uh, I'm not saying what he did was like, you know, right. Or that he was accurate in his assessment, but I also don't like now hate Robbie Ray because he got annoyed and probably, you know, was had these ideas in his head. Like, it's fine. You know, we can move on, I think. So, yeah, but we won't forgive him for how tight his pants are. That's unforgivable. <laughs> we can all agree on that. Um, definitely, I don't know, <laughs> some sort of violation. Tanner Scott does it too, though. So the Orioles have a guy with equally tight pants. So I, I don't know. People in glass I, houses. I think Tanner Scott's <laughs> a little like, I don't know if he's slimmer, but yeah it it, it's not as offensive to me when Robbie Ray's got a little bit of like the muffin top going on yeah yeah but Robbie Ray's a better pitcher so significantly (laughs) (laughs) um all right let's talk about some players on the Orioles roster instead of the coaching staff um Ryan Mountcastle continues to have a really good 
season. He broke Cal Ripken Jr.'s Orioles record for home runs hit in a rookie season. That was 28. Uh, Mountcastle has now hit 30 home runs at the time of our recording. And now he's starting to get a little bit of rookie of the year buzz. I mean, he's had some murmurs for parts of the season, but then he struggled so badly to start the year that that kind of went away. Um, I think the general people generally don't think he's going to win the award, but I mean, he's kind of passed uh, Adelis Garcia. Now the, the Rangers guy who was kind of leading the talk through the first half of the season. Um, I think he's got a, a chance. It might not be to come in first place, but I think he's got a decent chance to, to get a couple of votes. Um, do any, either of you guys have any particular thoughts, any, you know, hot takes on the rookie of the year race, Jess? The, the main thing uh, from my perspective and why I think uh, your assessment is right, that you're probably that he's probably not going to win is just the defense, right? Like he yeah. is just a guy that provides no defensive value. And even though he probably has the best offensive numbers of the three of them, just uh, his inability to play defense uh, is really going to hurt him. And um, I, I think that's probably why he's not going to end up winning. Uh, if we were looking at just offensive numbers, um, I think he'd probably be the favorite to win it. But that's not how it works. And I also think that uh, the other thing that's working against him is uh, a Rosarena uh, got a lot of name recognition, was playing in the World Series last year. Um, a lot, you know, he's a very popular player. So I think all that is going to work in his favor as well. So, so you, when you said the three, you have Adelis Garcia, Ryan Mountcastle and Randy Rosarena as like the three yeah, contenders. Correct. Yeah. I, I don't see any other possibility really. And I've heard Bobby Dahlbeck get thrown around a little bit, but he, you know, he's gotten hot recently, but he, he has not put a full season together. So I don't think he, he's going to get it. Okay. And the pitching, I'm not really as familiar with any pitchers that are really contenders, but. Yeah, I don't think there really are any. Okay. All right. So, uh, Eli, do you kind of have similar thoughts with the Mountcastle situation? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that Mountcastle is far enough ahead of Garcia offensively to put him into second place. But like Mountcastle's OPS right now is 807. Randy Rosarina's is 799. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like if you look in terms of just straight war and, you know, people always say, ah, you know, the Cy Young, the MVP, the rookie of the year shouldn't all be decided by war. But like right. war is a good quantifier of, over, of overall performance. So we've got a Rosarena at 3.5 and Mount Castle at 1.0. You know, like a Rosarena's put up three times the amount of value that Mount Castle has per this measure, just purely because you know, he's an asset in the field he goes out there. He's pretty quick. Um, you know, Mountcastle has better power numbers, but Garcia's got pretty much the same power numbers that Mountcastle does. I think he's also got 30 bombs. I think he's also got 83 RBIs or whatever it is. Um, and so I, I think it just, you know, it kind of nets out that Rosarena is the best mix of both. You know, he's got, uh, he's got that defensive capability. He is like, only marginally worse offensively than Mountcastle is. And, and I guess I should also say, like, I, I think that Mountcastle in the long run, you know, if he sustains what he has done over this second half, I think he will be a substantially better offensive player than a Rosarena will be. 
that's not to say that a Rosarena is bad in any way, shape or form. You know, he's obviously incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Mountcastle has got more future impact and that's mostly like if he just stays consistent throughout the course of his career from what he's doing right now, uh, obviously he was slumping earlier in the year, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. My, my money is on a Rosarena. You know, he's also caught fire in the second half and he provides that defensive value. So I'm right with you guys. Just, just to correct one thing, a Rosarena only has 19 home runs this year. So he's trailing uh, no, him I, by a I, substantial I saying, lot. I was saying that Garcia's tied with him. Oh. Yeah. I'll look, up. I'll, I'll look it up to check myself, but. Something else that might be interesting to see how like voters deal with it is Wander Franco. Like he's not been up the whole season, but when he, since he's been up, he's been really good, but he's only played in 60 games. So he won't get it, but I think he'll get some down ballot votes. So that could be interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, I just double check myself. Uh, Adelise Garcia has 30 home runs and 83 RBIs, the same as Mount Castle does. So uh, if I said, a Rosarena earlier that was a uh, slip of the tongue but yeah I, I was talking Garcia another Oriole rookie that we should like mention because I think we kind of forget he's a rookie is Ramon Urias I mean I think Mountcastle's gonna I think if you look at war Ramon Urias is probably worth more than Mountcastle is this year just because the defense we talked about and he's been pretty solid offensively all year I you know the home run the, the batting line isn't as sexy as Mountcastle's will be um, so I'm sure he will not get as many votes, if any votes, like Mountcastle does. But still, worth noting, Ramon Urias uh, has had a nice little uh, rookie season. Funny you mention him. He's actually almost twice as valuable as Mountcastle. He's got 1.9 WAR to Mountcastle's 1.0, and yeah. yeah, his OPS is only. So another interesting thing about that is he's done that in only 85 games. You know, Mountcastle's played in like 130 or so, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, his OPS is only like trailing by 30 points or so from Mount Castles. Yeah. Heck, heck of a season. Yeah, I think interesting he's, he's uh, going to be on this team next year. So uh, yeah, positive, positive sign there. Um, another young player that hopefully is part of the next good Orioles team is Heston Kerstad, the Orioles top draft pick from the 2020 draft. He has not played a professional game yet as he's been dealing with myocarditis as a result of a viral infection. We still don't know if that was COVID or not, um, but he's been on the shelf for a long time now. Last month, Mike Elias had said that he had gone down to Sarasota. Curse that had to restart some physical activities. He didn't explain exactly what those were, but I would imagine they were, you know, weightlifting, sprints, some cardio stuff. And then yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday. On Tuesday, Kerstad posted a video on his social media of him taking batting practice in Sarasota, which is like the most mundane baseball highlight whatever you could ever imagine but i'm pretty excited to, to, to have seen it i was like when i saw it at first i was like oh my the orioles are back baby world series <laughs> 2024 is on um so i don't know i mean i feel like this is a huge step but eli am i maybe reading a little bit too much into a video of a guy taking like light hacks in the cage <laughs> yeah I, I i mean like you, you know when the guy's been shut down for a year and a half it's impossible to say that's not a huge step like I'm happy for him and kind of an interesting point that literally just came into my head is, you know, the knock on Kerstad is that his swing is too long. You know, he uh, has the tendency to like 
overswing a little bit and he gets long and he strikes out as a result. And this tells me like he hasn't, you know, if he hasn't been swinging a bat really in a year and a half, the Orioles might have a chance to play with his swing a little bit, maybe use his natural talents coupled with some like swing refinement voodoo magic and come out with something pretty sweet. Yeah. I'm ecstatic. Jess, uh, maybe for you, I'll ask, you know, what sort of like timetable are you putting on Heston Kerstad for getting back into certainly not an Orioles major league game, but like, do you expect him to be ready? Like start of next season to be, you know, in a shorebirds game. Um, I would say it'd probably take a few months after that. I would think um, hmm. it's, it's, I think it's going to be a little while, um, but I think this is definitely a positive step for him. And um, of course, I mean, yeah, it's been hit, his career so far uh well i don't want to say it like that but his injuries <laughs> have been extremely frustrating and discouraging um not necessarily discouraging from the perspective of his long term potential necessarily but just discouraging as you know this is a guy everybody was so excited for and he's just had some pretty big setbacks so far uh in his short career so um, no, this is definitely a positive step forward, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we'll see. Um, he's got a full off season here, hopefully to get, to get healthy. If you know, you want to look at a comp Eduardo Rodriguez missed all of last season with the myocarditis from COVID-19. And then he has pitched, I think most of the season, I think he's had some injury things, but not, not heart issues during the season, right. which is, you know, obviously health internal health is the most important thing. Baseball career is secondary. Um, but I'm hopeful that a fully healthy off season, he can come to Sarasota in the spring, have a normal spring training and, and maybe get into some games with Delmarva um, that first month or two, that would be super encouraging. And based on how some of the young guys have progressed this year with, you know, Jordan Westbrook's played at three levels, Gunnar Henderson's played at three levels, you know, a healthy Heston Kerstad, you think, would dominate at Delmarva and probably be playing at Aberdeen and maybe even Bowie if he's healthy, but that's a big, if um, this is just a good first step. Um, somebody else who's having a nice uh, little September here is Austin Hayes, who prior to us recording had been on a 17 game hitting streak that was broken. Um, you know, maybe a couple of days after we recorded our last episode, but Austin Hayes, I think I texted you guys the other day that I think Austin Hayes is good now. And, you know, part of that is a really good September, but just in general, when he's been healthy this year, it's been like pretty good, pretty good defense, decent power. He's hitting the crap out of lefties all of a sudden. Like I'm pretty, I'm back on the Austin Hayes train and him and Cedric Mullins together. The Orioles have something going there um, that I'm pretty excited about. Eli, you weren't as excited because his on-base percentage is still lagging a little bit. Is is that your only concern with Austin Hayes, or do you have some other concerns with his game? I, I think that was actually Jesse who said that. Oh, but, was it Jesse? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, but the one thing that I will point out is that Austin Hayes in his career has an 879 OPS in August. The – or I'm sorry, in September. The best besides that is 789 in May. Like, so, you know, he's always been really good in September for whatever reason. Like, I think when he first came up to the bigs, I think he like came up in August or something. And then he exploded in September of 20, whatever it was. 
and we were all super excited then. I, I don't know what it is, but I think he just plays really well in September. Um, and like, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any reason to think that like he has been pretty good this year. And I, you know, I don't think that there's any reason to say he's not, you know, the right fielder or the left fielder on the next court Orioles team. I don't think there's a reason to say that yet, but he has a history of performing well in September. And so I'm not like looking at this month uh-huh. as an indicator of sustained overall success for a couple more years. Like, I, I think that he, I, I don't know, I, I guess like he's got a 994 OPS and in this month, and the best besides that was also in May and also 789. That's ridiculous. That's the same as his career average in May. But um, yeah, I, I just think like, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe he sees the end of the year coming and he gets amped up. Maybe it's some combination of like, you know, like the war of attrition. He gets hurt during the year. He battles right. through some stuff and then it all kind of comes together in September every year for whatever reason. Like, Whatever it is, I don't think that this is a perfect indication that he is now good. Um, he's, pl- <laughs> he's playing incredibly well, and like all, all the credit in the world to him for that. But I, it, it doesn't make me a believer yet. I want to see it in like June when everybody is you know, starting to wear down and pitchers are hitting midseason form and all that stuff. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think injuries for him have always been kind of a big thing, and we know we had the hamstring thing early in the season. So potentially maybe he's got that sorted out now, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, Jess, I think, I know you've been kind of a skeptical a skeptic yeah. of Hayes for a long time. Yeah, I have. I, so what I think, I mean, kind of like what Eli said, I think I'm going to echo a lot of Eli's sentiments. I think a healthy Austin Hayes is a major league baseball player. Um, I do think that, whether he's a, a starting uh, every day in the lineup, plays 140 games a season, I don't know about that. Very possibly he's a platoon guy. Um, and, you know, you work with him uh, with that, right? He splits time in left. He'll split time, a little time in right, play a game in center here and there, you know, on occasion. Um, I, I don't know. Uh what I do think, I think it kind of speaks mainly the the hot month, I think speaks to just kind of what he is as a player. I think he's naturally going to be a guy that catches fire uh, for certain periods of time and then is going to cool off. And one of the things I think he needs really to do is just to become more consistent, you know, over the course, because he has some lows, which can be pretty low and um, in order to be sort of, I think his next step is to try to establish himself as an everyday player. And the first step of that is being healthy, but then on top of that, trying to be consistent, trying to, uh, you know, be able to hit, uh, you know, both lefties and righties. Right. Um, So I, you know, I, I think he has a ways to go, to uh, prove that he is an everyday uh, starting major league uh, baseball player. But I, I do think he is a major leaguer if he stays healthy. And that's a good thing from the Orioles perspective. The fact that we know that 
um, despite all his struggles this year, you know, he does have 20 home runs. Um, the, of course, the concerning thing is, uh, the, the on-base percentage and he doesn't walk very often. Um, and that, that is kind of, he's been, he's had the experience kind of where at this point you kind of would like to see him have better play discipline, draw a few more walks here and there. Um, he's kind of at that point. Um, so if he's, if he's not going to kind of develop that part of his game, and if he's not going to draw walks, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for him to play every day. Um, and, uh, to, to be the contributor that it seems like he at least is capable of, uh, on a major league team. So, right. I mean, yeah, we're, we're still kind of, it feels like Austin Hayes has been around for forever and it's cause he sort of has been. And I think his first major league manager was Buck Showalter. I think he came up in that 2018 season. So he's been around for a while. He actually he, had 20 games in 2017. I'm looking at this now. And then okay, 2017, 2018. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, so he's got only 194 total career games. So he's only played a little over like one full major league season. So we're still, he's not a rookie clearly, but we're still kind of learning what he can do. And I think, the organization is learning how to handle him too. And I think we've sort of maybe seen a blueprint for that this year where for a while, Brandon Hyde was kind of treating him like a platoon guy, giving him days off. And he sort of flourished in, in that handling of him. And also as a guy who's going to get older, he needs to learn his body a little bit, either what he needs to do to prepare or what he needs to do to like pull up a little bit and not go balls to the wall every single play um something because this version of Austin A's yes it's it's buoyed by a very good September but he's been worth 2.6 wins this year which is that's I mean that's an everyday major league baseball player on any any team and yet his on-base percentage is not great but you would hope that the team is you know Adley Rutschman maybe Gunnar Henderson Jordan Westberg hopefully eventually Heston Kerstad these are the guys Mountcastle these are the guys that are going to be like the heart of the lineup. And then if Austin Hayes is like your six, seven guy, you know, then you're not too upset about a three or four on base. You know what I mean? So it's all relative to what his role on the team is, is going to be. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've been encouraged by it and it could certainly all go the wrong way really quickly, but um, trying to stay positive here. Yeah. And and unlike Mountcastle, the one thing that he really does have going for him is he plays stellar defense. So um, he has a great arm um, and he covers a lot of ground in the outfield. So that's, that's, you know, going to perpetually work in his favor. Yeah. I, I will also throw out that like, despite the low OBP, like his slugging is good enough to the point where he's actually 4% better than league average as mm-hmm. a hitter. So, you know, the, well, in terms of OPS plus, um, so, so there is like, I mean, there's still offensive value there if he can do that and be the good defensive contributor who can, you know, give your center fielder a couple days off, who can, you know, play really any position in the outfield and do so really well. He's got a solid arm. Like that, that's, yeah, that's an everyday player. So I guess like, I guess then to me, and I'm kind of going back on what I said earlier, but to me, you know, it's if the dude can stay healthy. Right. And, you know, this year he's only put up 120 games again. Like, nope, you know, you, you don't go out and seek that from a player. You, you know, you go out and you look for somebody who can, 
you know, who you can count on for 140, 145 games in a year to mm-hmm. only hit the 10 day IL once. And then that's all you have to deal with for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody who has not had uh, injury concerns this year, which is, you know, sort of part of how incredible his season has been is Cedric Mullins, who, as we record is one home run shy of being the first 30 home run, 30 stolen base Oriole in history. He got his 30, 30th stolen base um, a couple of days ago. And we're thinking he's going to get that 30th home run, although it sort of looked like he maybe already had hit the 30th home run on uh, Tuesday night. He hit a ball that went just foul, apparently, although there are some online who think it took a slight deflection off of the Citizens Bank Park right field foul pole. Um, I, I didn't see it in real time. Uh, did either of you guys see it happen in real time? Not in real time, but I did watch I did watch some replays. And, and what's your thought? It's a really difficult thing. So this might be too much to say, but I'm going to do it anyways. The, mm-hmm. I saw this little like animation one time and two balls crossed each other. Mm-hmm. And then they played the exact same thing and they just made a sound the second they touched each other. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, your brain deciphers that as they came together and then they bounced back apart. And uh, so kind of the idea is like, if we're looking at this and, you know, you're like watching the shadow of the ball on the foul pole and, you know, the shadow kind of comes towards it and then the shadow goes away, like looks, you know, is that my brain tricking me that it actually did deflect off the thing? And I don't know, I started like playing these games with myself, trying to figure it out. Um, naturally, Orioles Twitter pointed out that uh, there was a much, much clearer stolen base that was taken away from him earlier in the year. And they're like, ah, the MLB's doing everything they can to keep him from getting 30-30, you know. Um, but all that aside, yeah, I, I mean, we've got some games left. I definitely think that Cedric Mullins is our, the Orioles' first 30-30 guy of this Baltimore Orioles franchise, at least. Yeah. Jesse, did you see the, the video of the home run that wasn't? I, I saw it live. I was I I was watching the game and uh, I texted you guys immediately because I was excited. The announcers were convinced that it had hit the foul pole. Of course, the Oriole announcers I'm talking about. Um, but <laughs> I I could not whatever they saw. I didn't happen to see. So I, I just really could not tell one way or the other. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about that. What I will say is if for some reason he does not get it, well, then I'm going to be like really, really, you know, frustrated at the situation that that one <laughs> didn't count. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited, uh, for him to do this. Um, I know you talk about Tyler, like we've talked about like the hall of fame and, you know, we talk about the magical 500 home runs or the 600 home runs. And mm-hmm. you kind of point out that, well, these are just like round, even nice numbers, you know, right. that are easy for people to deal with, you know, is a 29, 29 season that much worse than a 30, 30 season? No, <laughs> not really at all. Don't get me wrong, but just because for baseball fans, you know, 3030 is sort of a magical thing. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, Acuna uh, last year almost had 4040, which is just ridiculous. But um, the fact ago. that, yeah, two years ago, the fact that, um, thank you, uh, the fact that um, 
Mullins has a chance to do this and to make it a nice, even 30-30 number that everybody can recognize, everybody can identify, you know, he will get the sort of credibility that comes along with sort of putting that season together, even though he should already have it, whether he hits one more home run or not before the end of the year, Um, just kind of how it goes. Um, he will get some sort of esteem and some sort of respect and credibility that uh, by getting that one more home run. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, so I'm definitely pulling for him to do it. Um, it even if he doesn't like definitely, we know internally, uh, you know, nothing is really taken away from the season, um, but he has the chance to be, I think it's the 43rd, 47th, something like that. Uh, player it's he's gonna be the first Oriole but like the 40 something uh, player to ever do it so mm. that puts him in very uh, you know elite company I mean yeah if I mean, he like if he's do- has an accomplishment only 50 other players less than 50 players in Major League Baseball have ever done that's pretty special yeah I mean I think there's been like a little over 20,000 MLB players ever which that's a small number. If you think like of all the people in the world, 20,000 people have played major league baseball. And then Cedric Mullins is of one of 50 that have done this, you know, it is impressive. And like, I sometimes have to like, stop me like 30 home runs. That's a lot of home runs for any position, let alone like a little center fielder who like, I mean, power was never his thing. He was probably like a 10 to 15 power home run guy, like as a prospect, you know what I mean? Like that was his ceiling. He's kind of think he was that. Yeah. I, like yeah. I, I always heard about him as like just a slap hitter and absolutely nothing more. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, like him I'm and Mountcastle have the same number of home runs and Mountcastle is like a power prospect <laughs> and Mullins is a defense first center fielder. It's just wild. It's wild. Yeah. I, yeah. I need to throw out one other thing that I saw today. Um, you guys were mentioning, you know, less than 50 people have done this. The season that he's putting together and it was uh, the stats they cherry picked and don't get me wrong. I'm glad they cherry picked, (laughs) but the stats they cherry picked were doubles, triples, home runs and steals, I think. And it was, I think Cedric has like 36 doubles, five triples, you know, the 29 home runs and the 30 or 31 steals at this point. And there had only been 13 people who had done that in MLB history. And the last one was Mookie Betts in his MVP season in MVP season in 2018 with the Red Sox. I I mean, just like, you know, what we are seeing, we are undoubtedly, and you know, like we talk about it every single podcast that we record, but we are all taking this for granted just because the rest of the team is so unbelievably bad. And like, you know, the rest of the nation, the rest of baseball fans across the world, like the amount that we are taking it to taking it for granted them like 10 times more. I I mean, like this dude is not getting the recognition he deserves. He's not getting like the teammates he deserves, you know, like (laughs) the performance around him that he deserves. Uh, This is a, yeah, pretty historic season. And the guy has been absolutely incredible throughout. Uh, You just got to love it. Yeah, I mean, I do think – I don't see how he wouldn't get a Silver Slugger award. I think he's going to be a Gold Glove finalist. Um, he's not going to get MVP, but I think he'll get some down ballot. He might get like a 10th place MVP vote or something like that. I think that's reasonable. 
Um, you know, because it's going to be Otani and Vlad Guerrero and probably Marcus Simeon will probably get an MVP vote or something, you know, guys like that. But Mullins, I think he's going to get some love in the the postseason awards or whatever they're called. So, um, yeah, it's incredible. And hopefully that will get garner him some of the attention that he does deserve. You're right, Eli. Um, somebody else that Jesse, I think, wanted to talk about as sort of an award winning level talent. Or did Eli want to do it? I'm sorry. You guys, I, I get you guys all confused now. We it's look okay. a lot alike. My hair is starting to grow out, and so I'm starting to like blend into Jesse. Yeah, that's that's it. why you look alike. Yeah, the hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eli rather wanted to talk about one player in particular on the infield who he doesn't think is gonna win a Gold Glove, but has played at a Gold Glove Glove Gold Glove level for part of the season. Do you want to kind of tell the folks who you're thinking about, Eli? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd go gold glove level. Well, look, I had to, I had to do a segue, a segue. I know, but I just like <laughs> I, I I didn't want to put my name behind that. That's fair. Um, I, I also I I think like I had that vitriolic reaction because I just saw him make an er- error in this game against the of Phillies. Of course. Um, but Calvin Gutierrez has been pretty phenomenal over at third base. Um, people have started making Calvin Machado jokes on Twitter, uh, and. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it's kind of funny because he does kind of have that same, like, super lanky build that the young man he had over there when we were seeing him diving all over the place and such. Um, I am not saying that Kelvin Gutierrez is as good as Manny Machado, but I, I think he's been playing at a really, you know, pretty, pretty high level. I think, like, you know, if he had the bat to stay in the lineup for some team over the course of an entire year, you know, the question I, I think does become like, you know, I like, I think he, if he keeps this level of performance up, Tyler actually pointed out that he was terrible as a defender with the Royals earlier this year before he picked him up. Uh, but like, if he keeps up that level, like there's no reason that he couldn't be a, you know, top five defensive gold or defensive. Gosh, what am I saying? Top five <laughs> defensive third baseman in the American league. I mean, it was real. like, it's been really impressive. Um, and yeah. it's the routine plays and it's also, you know, beyond that he is making some like star level, you know, backhands going across into foul territory, like diving plays. Um, it's been really impressive. And so like, I, you know, th- the question became to me, like kind of how does he mix in next year with like how this Orioles team is shaking out. And I think it's really interesting because all of a sudden just kind of out of nowhere, I think we're like getting really crowded in the infield. And especially like, you know, we talk about signing somebody like a third baseman to, you know, like potentially add some pop into the lineup and just kind of stabilize what's happening. But then at the same time, like who becomes the odd man out, but between Jemai Jones, Ramon Arias, you know, Jorge Mateo, Kelvin Gutierrez, all these guys. And I think Gutierrez was the easy answer earlier this year but I think he's really started performing and I looked it up earlier and he's got like positive war with the bat. You know, he hasn't been totally anemic. Um, I'm not saying he's, you know, got any type of like legitimate pop, but you know, he's been like fine with the bat and he's been contributing to a smaller extent and he's been contributing big time with the glove. Um, Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I think like it's going to be a pretty interesting spring training battle, seeing how this Orioles infield shakes out. Like, I think Arias is a lock. I think probably, I don't know. I, I might not even say Mateo is a lock. Like I think that Gutierrez, Mateo, and Jemai Jones all kind of are up in the air. And 
you know, potentially if we bring one person in, I guess you could have space to keep all of them, but you might like need to drop an arm in the bullpen or something to make that happen, especially Mm -hmm. given the number of outfielders that we have. So like it it just, the roster decisions become really interesting, I think. And uh, I don't know, like how how do you guys see him fitting in next year? Like, is, is he around? I think the bat is a big, is an issue as a third baseman. The bat is a problem. Right. right. Yeah. I, I think that's the big thing. Um, yeah. I mean, so just, uh, I mean, I think Mateo is a lock uh, for next year. Just throwing that out there, but um, like, no, I, what, I mean, right. I think uh, if he, I think the Orioles could try, I mean, maybe the Orioles try to do what they did with Rio Ruiz and just stick him over at second base. Problem oh, is with that na- problem is with that now, of <laughs> course, is that one, of course, it's a very different position and he might struggle over at second base. And also we have a few guys that can play second base. So what's the urgency to do that exactly? Right. Um, I think, I think the position, you know, he's, he's g- very good defensively at a position where, a big bat is required and that's just kind of like an unfortunate reality that is you know a lot of power is expected from a third base generally in contemporary major league baseball right um but anybody who watches him just defensively i i think you don't even have to watch him that much to see you know what he's doing really well right he's ranging both to his left and his right really well He's he's uh, throwing runners out that have these swinging bunts where he's charging the ball. He's also has multiple like basket catches over his head, ranging out into left field. Right. So, you know, like in all aspects of the position, I think he is doing really, really well defensively. Um, The question is just about his bat and he's the kind of glove that you want every day, you know, at third base. Right. So it's, you're, you're, you're limiting uh, his weakness, but you're also greatly limiting his strength too. When you, you make him a utility infielder type guy and he really only plays third base. So he's not even much of a utility infielder. He's just a backup third baseman. So I I think he's kind of in a tough situation just because of the bat, but I mean, I think he's going to be in the mix. I think he probably isn't the favorite uh, to, to hold the position. Um, I, I think it's more likely they, you know, try to get uh, Mateo over there uh, with, uh, with uh, uh, Urias at short and uh, Jones at second, most likely. So I think he's not the favorite and I think it's hard to keep him as a backup. So I think his avenue actually uh, to uh, being on the team is actually starting uh, over at third base, unless he can learn a new position or be more versatile defensively, uh, which uh, I don't know that he can. Yeah. I kind of think that the Orioles infield, they're going to go get a shortstop again this off season. It might be a Jose Iglesias. It might be a Freddie Galvis, something like that. Cause I think Ramon Urias, fits better at second base personally and all the time Brandon Hyde like doesn't he plays Urias I mean I know he's on the IL too but he plays Urias at second and he says the reason for that is because shortstop is more like difficult on whatever this injury has so like 
it's like a recurring thing. I think defensively he works better at second anyway. And then I think Mateo could be like a short, a, a third baseman utility type of guy. Like we got to be realistic about like all the ceilings of all of these guys. Like, you know, there's probably none of these infielders are like the future anchors of a good Orioles team. I think any one of them could potentially be like a useful piece on that team. But the, the, the reality is probably none of them are going to be starters on those teams. So this conversation is this conversation is only interesting considering who we are. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and the Orioles might go sign Carlos Correa this off season. Oh, Boom. Baby. 10 year deal. Shake the. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But I can dream for a couple more months. I think we had a nice talk about it on the podcast. And yeah. We'll see. That, that was all the entertainment we're going to get out of it. I think. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Gutierrez, I like what he's doing with the glove now, but yeah, the bat's a little problematic. Yeah, I, I also realized that I completely lied. Um, so his overall war with the Orioles is positive, but that's just based on the defense. His yeah, right. his like solely solely offensive war is still negative, and okay. substantially so. <laughs> which which makes sense. Makes yeah, sense. I was gonna say he's hitting <laughs> two hundred. So oh yeah, nice. Know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's good. Right. Um, all right, last. He does topic. have a hit tonight, though. He's one for two tonight. Yeah, cool. Boom, five hundred. It's turning it around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last topic we want to just touch on real quick is that the Bowie Bay Sox are the Orioles' lone uh, minor league affiliate in the playoffs. I think the Norfolk Tides are still playing games, but they're still in the regular season. Bowie is into the playoffs, and they're in the championship series. They did lose on. Tuesday night, and they are currently losing on Wednesday night. So this series could be over by the time you even hear this. Um, but yeah, some something. And Grayson Rodriguez pitched um, not great tonight, <laughs> which is yeah, unfortunate. Pretty bad, actually. Yeah, he got lit up a little bit, got knocked around. I think he racked up a couple strikeouts. But uh, look, I mean, you know, Eli and I were kind of talking about this before. This is his longest professional season ever. He's still only 21 years old. He's had a really, really good season. Otherwise, he's the top pitching prospect in baseball, like by every outlet. So don't let this get you disappointed. But I think it's, is it a best of five series, this uh, this double A series? I think Oof. it is. I actually could not tell you. I think it's best of five. So even if they're down 0-2, they should still have uh, at least one more game after this is posted, if I'm able to get it posted in time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that's all we really wanted to touch on. Um, Then we want to do Oriole of the week. Well, Oriole of the, of the fortnight. I don't know. However, often we record these Uh, last episodes, Oriole was Steve (laughs) Stone. And how this works is we give you three facts about a former or current Oriole. And then you can, you know, play along at home. Guess who that Oriole is. Please don't Google or Bing or Yahoo or ask Jeeves, but uh, you can play along and then either reach out to us on social media and we'll shout you out. Brady did get the answer right again, as he always does. Thank you, Brady. We appreciate your loyal loyal listenership. Um, So the first fact about this week's Oriole is that they were drafted in the 19th round of the 1965 NFL draft by the Dallas Cowboys. They served it. By, by all ser- means, sir. <laughs> they served as the Padres hitting coach for parts of two seasons from 2006 to 2007. Fact number three. 
He led the 1971 Orioles with a 318 batting average. Hmm. Kind of doing a throwback here. This is before our time, more our father's time. So that's interesting. I'm sure that... not our father's time. No, no. This is uh, our father was 20. Oh, you know, I was saying like more, uh, not before, but like during our father's uh... time. My dad was born in 1960, so he would have been 11. Or no, my dad was born in 56. What am I saying? My mom was born in 60, so my dad would have been 16. So that's prime baseball fanhood right there. Prime. Yes. Um, All right. That is all the topics for this week. What we would like for you guys to do, if you are so inclined, is to follow and subscribe to the podcast on either social media or on your preferred podcast application like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're able to, please give us a rating and a review. That helps us reach more um, ears. That would be appreciated. And our various social media handles are at The Warehouse Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Eli, where can people listen to your opinions or hear your opinions? Uh, they are all over the place on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. And like Tyler said, at the warehouse pod. Cool. And, uh, Jesse, how about you? People can follow me on, uh, Instagram and Twitter at juggernaut eight, six, seven, eight. That's J U G G E R N A U T eight, six, seven, eight. Nice. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Ty young. And you can also go to camdenchat.com where I write some blogs. Um, I think that is about it. We, we are recording this on the 22nd of September. And, you know, sometimes our, our recording schedule gets a little messed up. So it's possible we have one more in-season podcast. Uh, and it's also possible we'll just be doing a wrap-up podcast. We're not too sure yet. But we'll try to squeeze in one more before the end of the Orioles regular season um, where we are going to be talking about Uh, the Rangers series, the Red Sox series, and potentially the final road trip of the year, which has the Orioles going up to Canada for three against the Toronto Blue Jays. The Orioles are going to attempt to play spoiler one way or another. Um, I think that's all we got, guys. Anything else to add before we get on out of here? I personally hope they play spoiler for the Blue Jays, as in Mm -hmm. like help the Blue Jays to the playoffs. And we knock out some of these other – some of these other non-raise AL East teams. <laughs> I was very frustrated. We couldn't at least win one game against the Red Sox. I mean, totally expected. Prob- knew it probably wasn't going to happen, but it would have been nice to get one and That's not true. accelerate them to the postseason at least. Well, look, we can sweep the Red Sox and then get swept by the Blue Jays, and that would be amazing. That would be the final yeah. week of the season. That would be incredible. Yeah, well, we'll, Go see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, right. We're uh, yeah, we we uh, heavily prefer the Blue Jays to any Yankees or Red Sox postseason. So, well, yeah, particularly the Red Sox. The Yankees, I don't get annoyed by as much. It's much more. Yeah. The Red Sox are more of a headache, I think. Absolutely, I agree, a hundred percent. Plus, yeah. they have Alex Cora as their manager, and. Yeah, not too excited about him anymore. So, yeah. yeah, he cheated. He cheated. Yeah, right. Um, all right. Well, that's all we got. So thank you all so much for listening to the Warehouse Podcast. We will be back in the next week or two with a new episode for you to listen to. Um, until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And you've been listening to the Warehouse Podcast. Thanks. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.